I saw a thing that said, you know, like protect our black women. And as a black woman, I was like, well, I don't know if I feel like I need protecting. And then literally 30 minutes later, I was like, yeah, the fuck I do. I definitely need protecting. We are not listened to. We're not heard. We do need protecting. Welcome to Black Cancer, a podcast about the nuances of our lives as people of color told through our cancer journeys. I'm your host, Jodi Ambiri. Our guest on today's episode is Lauren Tarbley. There are two ways you can find her on Instagram. You can find her at type A guide to cancer and also lifewithlittleones.podcast. At the time of this recording, Lauren was about a third of the way through her chemotherapy treatment. For the breasties out there, Lauren is BRCA negative, HER2 positive, and hormone receptor negative. She's a wife with a toddler, and because of her cancer diagnosis, she also has three little boys in the freezer. Her description, not mine. Lauren and I talk about her diagnosis path and what it means for both of us to be in a statistically unlikely situation. You'll hear us talk a lot about AYA cancers, an acronym used for adolescent and young adult cancer patients, which is an experience Lauren elevates on her platform. We also talk about decision-making for her family planning, specifically navigating this as a young adult. Okay, so heads up, we do have a mic switch just a few minutes into the episode. Listen, we are trying to make this podcast in a pandemic, so thank you so much for understanding. Here's my conversation with Lauren. Me, sir. What? Yeah, he's like, I'm ready to go. And he's like, I'm ready to go see my wife. I'm like, I'm really sorry about that, but this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, you're my grandfather-in-law. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this information, and please please do not tell the only black girl in this room and in this family that you're ready to die and then die. I can't, I can't. I remember being in college once and I was sitting in the lecture hall and I really was just like, one day it's just done. You don't have thoughts anymore. You're not participating in whatever is happening in the world. Like you're just not a part of it anymore. Yeah. And I remember having to leave the lecture hall cause I was crying. It was hard to grasp. Yeah, it's super heavy. It's hard to think that like you just won't exist anymore. And then after my cancer stuff, I was like, whatever. <laughs> It'll be all right. <laughs> now, the, see, like that's the part that had me twisted all the way. Like you're young and you're, you know, we're in these invincible years. Like you made it through high school against every odd. You made it through college against every odd. I love that meme where it's like, I don't know why you're worried about what's in the Corona vaccine because you paid a random man outside of a liquor store to buy you something that was extremely colored. So like Mad Dog 2020 or Hypnotic or anything to make Incredible Hulk. Then you went in the woods, sometimes with that man and like a bunch of kids, drank all those things, snuck home, and then you like woke up at five o'clock in the morning like, oh, I can't wait to go to church with the family. And then like, 
you're gonna worry about some Moderna, Pfizer, J and J. Like you've been chancing life a lot. Like if you can make it through four local, you can make it through. <laughs> The truth. If you can wake up, if you can make it through high school, giving strange men money and letting them hang out with you in the query, like like down by the rocks, like and running water, and you live. Sounds very specific. <laughs> don't don't judge my past behavior. Okay. I'm not judging. And then, <laughs> so then we make it to this point, and we're supposed to be invincible, right? Because we made it through all that, all that other trash. Mm. And then somebody's like, you have cancer. And you're like, oh, man, that's going to be what takes me out. Like, <laughs> I've some way worse stuff than cancer. Like, I am like, oh, man. I didn't think cancer wanted a part of this. The things I've done to this body in the last 35, I thought cancer was like, ugh, we won't make it in there. No, we won't make it in. We won't make it out. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> anybody, anybody who's listening to this, that has never experienced cancer in their lives at all are probably mortified <laughs> by the casualness of this. But I think that's just how that's how it be sometimes. That's how it has to be. Like, I mean, it's been eight months of just, you know, like eight months ago, somebody stared me. Actually, somebody called me and was like, hey, you have cancer. And I was like, uh, okay. You call me in the middle of my work day, tell me I have cancer. I'm like, all right, dog, I'll holler at you on Monday. It's Friday at 10 o'clock. That's rude. Like, don't, don't fuck up my weekend. So then, and then after that, you go through all these things, some of which, some of the tests, and you know firsthand, the surgery could, like, the biopsy, the surgery, the diagnostic work could kill you. Um, PET scans are not healthy. That's, it's, that's radioactive material. So when I joke around about my grandfather-in-law, the only thing we talk about is death. Like, that's kind of funny to me. And so my husband's dad's brother, so like my husband's uncle, got diagnosed around the same time as me. And he's so much older that they're not going to do chemo. He's got uh, colon cancer. And he messaged me. And was like, Lauren, I have gold in my butt. And I was like, this seems very inappropriate. Like, I don't, <laughs> I've only had like three conversations. With That's you. when you start texting someone back and you're like, are you sure this was the right box? I don't know. <laughs> this message was right. <laughs> but look at my experiences. I got Poppy telling me he's just ready to die at like, like Fred Sanford. Every time I talk to him, he's like, oh, Lucy, I'm coming to join you. I'm like, oh my God, can we get our bread? Can we just get the bread? And then you can talk about dying. It's fine. Then I got uncle texting me, <laughs> Facebook messaging me, talking about, I got gold in my butt. I'm like, what are you even? He was like, yeah, well, I, you know, I got, they told me I had uh, colon cancer and, you know, you're one of the few people I understand. I'm like, oh, damn dog. Like, you almost made it. Like, he's almost 80, right? Oops. Yeah. Uh, that actually made me, like, feel a little better about starting radiation because the day was number eight. Number eight out of 25, I am exactly 32% finished with radiation. I'm very excited about that. How do you feel about your eight out of 25? How's that feeling? Uh, I feel good. I feel really, really good. I was very nervous to start radiation, uh, nearly defiant to start radiation. I really didn't want to do it. 50% of it is anxiety of another treatment of, you know, the list of side effects they give you and tell you what's permanent, what's temporary, what's long-term, what's short-term, what 
it only has a 5% chance of happening. And I'm like, okay, well, I only had a 12% chance of getting breast cancer with a negative BRCA. So you're, you can take that under 5% and just like, don't, don't even. Yeah. Okay. I also feel this where it's like probabilities do not matter to me anymore. It's, it's either there or it's not there. Cause it is yes or no. That's that's, that's all it is. Because <laughs> like, oh, you have a two percent, you know, chance of being completely paralyzed. Well, um, it's yes or no. It's it's, it's like I'm moving or <laughs> yeah. not moving. Because when you're in- yeah, that two percent is still too much, sir. <laughs> yes, because when you're in the two percent, it happened, right? <laughs> it didn't matter uh-huh. that it was unlikely. There's still one percent of people in this country that are billionaires. I would fucking love that one percent. Okay, I don't want that two percent that you just brought up. So let's not talk about probabilities and percentages. Yes, I told my surgeon this when he was telling me about percentages and felt that that was supposed to be reassuring. Because for me, it's like I've I've attended really competitive colleges, and so like you're Mm. looking for schools that accept ten percent of the applicants. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm searching specifically for lower acceptance rates, (laughs) that means that I was like, oh, 10%? Yeah, I'll be in that. I want a school that accepts 98% (laughs) of the people applying. And that is where I... (laughs) 98%? That's your 2%. Yes, represent. And don't come for me because I went to a college like stuff. Ninety-eight percent of applicants. Coming. You might not like. I didn't. I didn't have to spell my name right. They were just like, "You, here's your student number. Yeah, we don't need to know your That's name." Cool. Come on down. Me. Come on. I don't think I registered for this class, ma'am. Is there a chair? There's a chair. <laughs> and I think that that should be that should be the approach when it comes to college. Do you want to learn? If you want to be here, do you want you to learn? Just, just show up. up. <laughs> just show up. But yeah, radiation is going well. The one, it was half anxiety was, you know, kind of standing in my way. And then also there's a lot of really good stuff online, especially lately. I've found more good things online than bad. Like I found you and I found a really good AYA cancer community and the mom community is like very helpful tips, tricks, like, you know, life hacks, all these things. You know, and one of the reasons why I try to speak out so much about AYA cancer are just stats and probabilities and 12 and 2% and all that other stuff is that number one, that really doesn't matter. But number two, everybody's got a picture in their mind of what they think a cancer patient looks like, right? They're frail, their hair is either in the middle of falling out or growing back. So you're either patches or you look like duck. And I'm referring to myself. Don't want anybody getting your own feelings. I'm literally talking about my own scalp. I looked like Doug <laughs> a few months ago. And then before that, I looked like Angelica's little doll with the, <laughs> from Rugrats with that little hair everywhere. So like my hair is falling out in patches. Then we shaved my head. We shaved it into a Mr. T mohawk first. So I've had a very serious coming of age looks in the last nine months, been a lot going on. A uh, lot, a lot of cartoon characters, a lot of characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of people have a like a picture in their mind, and that person's just like super frail, don't have any hair. Um, but you know, cancer comes in all different shapes and forms, and you also don't have to feel 
sick to have cancer. So I just like to try to remind people of that. I think that's one of the things which I think I've heard, I've seen, I've spoken to people about, but you know, like even some of my older friends, right? So I'm 35 and one of my girlfriends is like 49. And I said, you know, when was your last mammogram? And she was like, when Mm -hmm. I was 40. And I was like, okay, well, Ooh, no child. <laughs> that is a bronze level answer, ma'am. Mm-hmm. But I was like, and she was like, because of you, I am going to go. And I'm like, yeah, like, that's cool. But it shouldn't be because of me. Like, you're almost 50. She was like, I'm scared. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah. But let me break this down for you really, really quick. And then we'll get back to drinking. Because, like, <laughs> I wasn't trying to waste my happy hour talking about it. <laughs> yes, come on. I came here to turn up, not give you <laughs> health advice. Right. Like, I, I mean, I am trying to keep everybody alive, but yeah. I am going to drop this little nugget. And I'm going to I'm going to get back to my, I don't know, uh, lamb lollipops. I don't like my yeah. food getting cold. I like hot food. I can finally taste now. Like I chemo took away my sense of taste. I have been eating everything in sight. Mm. So I just said, you know, it's going to be worse if there is something in there and you waited nine years and now there's nothing they can do for you. Yeah. Like you can't, it's not out of sight, out of mind. It's not one of those things. And and unless you're like poppy and you're just ready to go and you just want that cancer yeah. to take you, like cow gone, take you away, then you need to do what you need to do yeah. to keep that from happening. So it, a lot of people do not stay up on their screenings, which kind of blows my mind yeah but then again it's like yeah the people who are diagnosed are gonna stay on top of their screenings because I stay at the doctor and we found the cancer on this side of it that's the same response that I give to people too like come on you need to go this is important when it comes to cancer the best defense that you have and there are many phenomenal defenses but the best defense that you have is time the more you don't know, the more you don't go, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your chances potentially because, you know, at least for me, I had a very slow growing tumor and some people that I talk to, it's in a matter of days that they have to have some type of action. And there's a sense that I get it. Like after I saw the tumor, I, I was doing things like kind of like, oh, I'll go through the appointments or whatever. But I kept having these quiet moments where I'm like, I mean, maybe it'll just go away. Mm-hmm. Just as quickly or slowly as it came, maybe it'll just go. Maybe like, you know, go. like like it's a cyst or something. Like, oh, maybe it'll just like go away. And I think people are afraid of what happened to us, which is once you know something, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. And that doing could change the trajectory of your life. It will. It's going to. Yeah, like who wants, nobody wants that. But you know what also changes the church activity of your life? Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Just waking up dead in in your dirty ass bed. It's like you got to get your house in order. That's what what you were going to say, right? (laughs) Waking up dead. (laughs) (laughs) You wake up in time to just take your last. I want to talk about being a younger person that is experiencing cancer diagnosis, because I think you're right, right? When people think about cancer, when you think about sickliness, it's that older, it's the frail, it's the 
almost like, oh yeah, of course this person's in their seventies or this person's in their sixties and they're facing some health crisis right now. When you're just like, just busting out of 30 and kind of living your life, you're not really thinking about that on the menu of possibilities for what's going to happen in the next 10 years. And so what I'm curious for you is like, you know, before, before you were diagnosed, what would your response be to someone who says something along the lines of like, you're never too young for cancer? Like, do you feel like that's, that's something that we know, like we actually understand what that means before we go through it? As, as humans, if you have not been touched by cancer, like my mom is the second youngest of seven. My dad is the oldest of four, but my parents are the same age, right? So like mm-hmm. that, you know, that's kind of weird that like my other grandparents are 20 years older than my other grandparents, uh-huh. right? But my parents are the same age. Like my mom's 60. So like my grandpa just died, he was 95. Like my grandma, when she died, she was in her eighties, but you know, she would have been 93. Like, yeah. We, and, and my family's huge. And so I have experienced cancer from a very young age. My parents tried to protect us from it as much as they could. Like, oh, so-and-so's just sick they're t- or they're tired or, yeah. you know, they're in treatment or, you know, they're going to bounce back, things like that. So I think that um, if you, and there are people who are our age who have never, ever, ever, and this blows my whole mind, who have never had anything bad happen to them. And when I say bad, I don't mean a hangover. I don't mean a breakup. (laughs) I don't mean you blew out your flip-flop. I don't mean a broken heel. I'm not talking about UTI. Like that's not a fucking bad day, okay? UTIs are rough though, but I I hear what you're saying. (laughs) Some people are 35 and 40 and have never lost a grandparent. Like it blows my mind that like, you know, my best friend's grandma is alive. And I'm like, more than anything, I wish my grandma was alive because she's one of the only other people in my family who had breast cancer, Mm -hmm. who even, but though my BRCA is negative, we had two different kinds, but we are going through the same treatment plan. And so it would be nice to like talk to her about that and whatever. But I just think that as a society, if someone was like, oh, hey, you know, like, like to your question, no, I don't think that a lot of people in our age group are mentally there because that level of tragedy or shock or just whatever adjective or word you want to use for however you feel like when you're personally diagnosed, a lot of people haven't felt that yet. Like that, those are, those are feelings our parents yeah. have felt because they've lost their parent or they've lost their sibling because our parents are 50, 60, 70, 80, you know what I mean? And so no, Um, unfortunately enough, I have two close friends who were diagnosed with breast cancer in their very early thirties. They're both five and six years, you know, in remission now, but you know, like when I called them, they remembered everything you know like they gave me a whole download it was you know it was a little overwhelming but they gave me the whole rundown from like diagnosis to you know where they were five years past being cured yeah I think a lot of people are just in denial and then I think a lot of people hang on people like news they like yeah right like you you like when you hear what you want to hear Oh yeah. That feels great. Yeah. So like when I, like the infographic I saw the other day, when I found out that my chances of getting 
breast cancer before the age of 70 was 12%. If I had seen that two years ago and then also just gotten my BRCA, my genetic test, I would have been like, this is all the information I need because this is all the CDC, mm-hmm. the American Cancer Society, all, all of the information that all the powers that be, all the authorities that lie, like they have said, I do not have cancer. My BRCA is negative. My chance is 12%. I'm healthy. I work out every day. I eat a ton of vegetables. I just had a bit, you know, I had a baby, like, like it was nothing like first chance, like, you know, labor took three days, but who doesn't like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm healthy. Like I go to the doctor every 90 days. So without my mammogram, which is like the other part of that picture, like if you want to even call it three, you know, like a three part picture, your mammogram, your BRCA, and then the statistics. Yeah. Sure. That's the complete picture, but just the statistics of what has happened on people who were eating food that wasn't GMO, people who Mm -hmm. were eating foods that have new pesticides in them, like for you to tell me I'm BRCA negative and I have a different cancer than my grandmother means it is environmental. (laughs) Like there's no other explanation that and so that's that's just a really that's a really big bummer and that's like one of the biggest realizations that I've come to in the last like nearly year of like of dealing with all of this well how how would you describe it like what did it feel like to you to be in your early 30s kind of navigating this because for me I got diagnosed at 32 and like listen the body was tight, right? Crop tops for days, right? I had a good job. Like I was feeling good. I, you know, had several months of depression because I was dating a man child and that impacted me in a really deep way. But all of that aside, I was actually like on the up from that. Like when I was diagnosed and I was like super excited, you know, springtime was on the horizon. It was my birthday was in a couple days. Like I had snowboarding, trip planned and like all this kind of stuff and then this drops in my lap yeah like I had tickets to I was going to Malawi then I was going to Geneva because I had a work thing and then after Geneva I was going to go to the Alps I was snowboarding for a couple days I was so excited about you know especially because I was dealing with depression like re-entering my life Mm -hmm. and then to feel like I had to not just spend like in my brain I thought it was gonna be like a couple weeks Oh, surgery, boom, pal, let's go. Like my surgeon really sat down. He's like, this is going to change the trajectory of your life. And I'm like, so extra Dr. Lazar. <laughs> like that was a lot. Right. Um, but it did. I was not mm-hmm. working for four months. I was in the hospital for almost a month. I had to relearn how to walk. I relearned how to use my hands. I like felt like shit. And mm-hmm. I felt from 32 until 34 plus and 35 now like you, I was just like, this is trash yes. to be a young person who is still in this place of these like societal milestones of possibilities for your life I felt mm-hmm. stalled like I felt like I had to go backwards while my peers who are in this time of accelerating the career starting families buying houses mm-hmm. and all these great exciting kind of life grounding things I could not participate in that. And it's just like this um, loss of, of possibility and potential. And, oh, yeah. 
and like that's kind of what I was navigating like doing this at 30 in there's no time that is good to be dealing with cancer. Navigating all of this in my 30s was just absolute basura. Yeah. What is it like for you as? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's very similar. So, and I think that's the biggest thing about AYA cancer patients, right? I was having a conversation with one of my friends and I feel like it's definitely harder you know, AYA is 15 to 39. Mm. And so if you, let's say, oh God forbid, you're 19, which happens and you're diagnosed with breast cancer, right? And they're like, okay. So by the way, the recommended time between being diagnosed and you reaching out to an endocrinologist to talk about your treatment and what it'll do to your fertility, they recommend you do that in 24 hours after diagnosis. So imagine being 19 and you're like, all right, so do you think you want a child? Because if you want a child, we need to know this in within 24 hours. Oh, and it'll be $25,000. Thank you. All right. I'll tell you where you can take that. <laughs> when I was 19, I was like, I am a child. Yeah. It was like the hangover. It was like, he might look like a man, but he's a baby. <laughs> like it was it's that, like, I am a child. Like I was a child. Yeah. I am a child, still a child too young for this bullshit. So like I said, it's, you know, I think about, I think about younger people, but you know, being diagnosed at 34, I mean, you're 100% correct. That is the prime of anyone's life. We, you know, we spoke about high school, you fit, you know, you kind of figure out, you kind of think, you know, who you are in middle school, then you definitely pretty much figured out in high school then you try to implement the things that make you you in college and then you try to find your group and your people and lifelong friends then you get out of college and if you're like me no one wants to date you because bitch. and then you don't find anybody until you're 28 and you're old as fuck and your eggs are dusty anyway so then you have a baby at 33 and then you're just trying to go to the gyno and like get the green check in your gold star so you can have another little dusty egg baby because now I'm 35 and then <laughs> And then they're like, okay, sure. You can have a little dusty baby and we'll be here when that doesn't work out. And then, (laughs) and not a dusty baby, a a baby. Dusty egg. egg. Your baby's not dusty. Your eggs are. My babies aren't dusty. (laughs) My eggs are powdered. So believe it. So. I'm dumb, Jesus. I can't deal with this. (laughs) But, you know, it sucks because. Where you said you thought you just needed to take some steps back, like dead ass for me, I felt like when I was diagnosed, they put up a brick wall overnight between the biopsy and them calling me, they built a brick wall and I was still driving. So when they called me and they said, you have cancer, I crashed into that brick wall. What do you want me to do with this information? What am I supposed Mm -hmm. to do with that? Like I... 80% 80% agree with you. Let's totally talk in percentages, like the whole Yeah, we'll do a little percentage whole time. Yeah. For real though, like everyone's doing these things and I don't I don't care what I don't care what timeline anyone else is doing things on, but you know, you you are on this trajectory. When you're in your 30s, like that whole that whole meme that's going around, I don't know if they're like, how much better are your 30s and your 20s? And then I think somebody started, how much better are your 40s and your 30s? And you're like, I just don't give a fuck. Like, I yeah. don't care. And you don't. You, you Once you hit your 30s, like whether it's 31 or 35, you realize what your personal priorities are. 
you want mm. to, if you want to travel the world, you start putting those, you know, those things into motion. If you want to have a baby by yourself with your SO, with your DO, you start putting those things into motion. If you never want to have a baby, you go get fixed. Like that's perfectly <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome and fine. And please, everybody, like if you ever think about wanting a kid, and I love my kid more than life, just go to the yeah. zoo. You'll never want a baby because there are kids running around everywhere. I can't deal with you. And so just if you don't if you don't want kids, if you think you want kids, just go to the zoo and you or hang out in the out. airport. But, I've bet I've seen ugh. marriages fall apart at uh terminal oh, gates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, terminal three. Well, I'm I mean I've seen some people like cold cock somebody in IKEA. So IKEA, the zoo, the airport. That's those are relationship tests. Mm-hmm. That's real. But yeah, just being diagnosed. And the thing is, is like you know, I've never, no one in my family's ever been diagnosed so early. Yeah. Not that they talk about, you know how black people don't tell their business. They don't say black. anything. You know, she's family sick. History. Mom. You know, she's Mom. Sick. Yeah. I need my family history. The doctor asked. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not writing a blog about it or like telling Sally, your friend who's like not your Yeah, friend. I need, I, really I need, need it on my record. Like, I, I, I need to tell my doctor. Listen, when you get a diagnosis like that, when you call your parent, you know, after you tell them or whatever. But the tone in your voice changes when you're like, I need my family history. <laughs> like, yeah, like, right? Bite your bottom lip. Like, try me. Try me. Linda. Linda. <laughs> What'd you call me? Mrs. Mrs. Mommy. Mrs. Mommy. Mrs. Mommy. Mrs. Mommy, ma'am, please have my medical mm-hmm. record and my birth certificate. I don't mm-hmm. have my birth certificate. At what point in your life are you supposed to hand those back to your kids? Pretty sure it's in her like death binder. Her death binder. <laughs> like, I'm dead. Here's your birth certificate. <laughs> you know your parents get everything together for you, yeah. like estate planning. I think my birth certificate is page one, and then she'd be like, "Now you finally have <laughs> deserved your yeah. own birth certificate back." Oh my god, that's rude. A couple a couple years ago, my mom started releasing some things. Like she gave me my my very first passport, which I did not think about. Like, of course, this thing yeah. exists, but I as I was yeah. born in Jamaica, so I have a Jamaican passport. I have oh, one great. stamp in it, which is the date that we migrated to the United States. And like, you can see her fingers holding me up in the passport photo. Like she gave that to me a couple of years ago. And I knew this existed because I remember seeing it in high school, but there's like a little nameplate bracelet that has my first name on it that I had when I was an infant. Oh, that's so cute. So I have it and it hangs on the neck of like this lady's little statue that I have. It's so small. So yeah. like I used, this used to be around my wrist. Oh, yeah. So I like, I love having those things, but I mean, you know what? Listen, I still live in a studio apartment. I don't have a house. I totally get that. She's not trying to like give me important things because I'm still moving. <laughs> but, they're, but they're mine. But they are mine. <laughs> like I need that no, for like yeah. government yeah you're right reason. like I honestly I'm waiting for her to like ask me for my vax card back <laughs> <laughs> no I have to save here too like I'm an adult yeah. and I feel like my mom looks at me like that 14 year old that kept forgetting her jacket at school yeah <laughs> so that, that's what she won't no that is a fact stuff. 
But I, I think, I think that's what makes it even more difficult to be like still a younger person navigating cancer and how your family sees you or people in your life see you who've known you for a long time. Cause you're just like, how do you have cancer? Like you just lost your tooth yesterday. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, I'm older. So I can navigate this with some level of decision-making, but also I'm still a young person where like just going through this is so traumatizing. And, and difficult to navigate because they're still first experiences. But yeah. again, like the sense that like you're too young for cancer or that the cancer came too soon. is just like, you have no idea what cancer is then. Like it just shows up and it sh- yeah. can show up in your body for all different types of reasons. And that doesn't necessarily have like a, a date on it of like when it's most appropriate for you to have cancer. Cancer gives zero zero oh yeah can't sound good fuck can't sound good let me ask you this about your parents though like when you had to tell your mom and your parents like do you think they felt guilty that's deep I called my mom and told her yeah she had her own process that you know I wasn't exposed to she did tell me a little bit about it but if I know my mom I would be shocked if she did not have a line of thought of blaming herself. Exactly, yeah. I think any, I think that's any parent. Any parent, because you're giving them the genetic material. And because my, because I had to get a family history, my grandmother, her mom died of cancer and several of her sisters. So my mom's one of 10, five, five girls, five boys. Of the five of them, not, including my mom, which again, because people keep secrets, I have no idea if my mom have not, has navigated like some type of cancer in some way. But mm-hmm. of the five of them, many of my aunts have had some type of removal of reproductive organs, right? Yeah. Or you navigated breast cancer or ovarian, like what, again, like trying to find the history is tough, but they've navigated that. I have a couple of uncles who've navigated that. And I don't think that's evident on my dad's side. So I would be shocked if my mom was like, you know, I did this. I think any parent would do that. Yeah. I mean, how about your, your parents? And I do just want to touch on this because I'm not quite sure how often people do talk about this, but like my whole, my whole gamut, my whole thing is AYA cancers and racial disparities in medicine. That, that, that's my platform. That's what I like to talk about, preach, educate people on things like that. And um, when it comes to the black community, not trusting doctors, I get it. Not trusting government, I damn sure get it for multiple reasons. We don't wanna be poked, prodded, experimented on any any further, anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the Tuskegee's experiments, all those things. So that's again, why black people aren't very forthcoming. Then to have you know, the majority of our records, our life records, our birth records, our family records burned intentionally. So we do not have a lineage or so we don't have any kind of history to refer back to and things like that. So I think that honestly is the egg of the chicken where this, where the racial disparities and the inequities began in medicine. We don't, I can't answer your question. I don't know what my great-great-grandmother did. She was a slave. That's what I know. 
I can only pray that she was treated <laughs> as good as you can be, but that's what I know. I'm sorry I don't have that information because we're from East North Carolina and that's one of the worst, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that kind of stuff. So, you know, this is all deep-seated and, you know, goes back pretty far with us, like, not having, you know, a ton of records and why Black people don't divulge things. And then that's another reason why one of the things I like to do is destigmatize cancer in young people. Again, with the photo shoot, when I was in the middle of chemo and I've got my bald head and I get so many messages mm-hmm. and people are like, I can't believe you put your bald head on the internet. I was like, I'm pretty sure there's pictures of my asshole on the internet. So yeah. my bald head is like really not even that serious. Um, <laughs> I lived a very crazy 20s. So don't even get it. Yeah. Um, my Listen, I survived Four local. Yeah, <laughs> that boat and Four logo <laughs> and I made it home. I don't. I was with people who didn't know. I got where my I ass on the internet somewhere. No, I have no idea. The thing is, what I love is that my husband and my parents know like all this, so I'm like, eh, I don't care. So, um, so I told my mom because like, and my parents are still together. All that stuff. They watch my son, so I see them three at least three times a week. Like my parents have been together for third, almost forty years. So like, they have their own language, and like, when there's bad news from my mom's side of the family, and my mom has to share it to my dad or vice versa they have a way they like to communicate. It was really hard when I first got diagnosed because my dad's sister has stage four cervical cancer. My grandfather just passed in July from bladder cancer. And then now your daughter has breast cancer. Mm. And that was the hardest part. Like all generations. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the hardest part for me to be diagnosed because number one, I felt for my dad, like I was scared for my parents. Like Hmm. I did, I just didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to let them down again. I didn't want to let my family down. Like you can't, you know, you go get your nose pierced and your parents are like, my parents are like, you don't need more holes in your face. Go and get a tattoo. My, my, my dad's like, do it again. And I'll cut it off of you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just don't stop embarrassing yourself. Stop being stupid in your twenties. And so, you know, you do the right thing. I find a guy that like, I love, they love, we have a baby that everyone loves. And I'm like on the up and up and I'm like trying to fix these mistakes. So I'm still wow. trying to work on repairing all of the things I didn't. I'm trying to make up for what happened when I was 16. <laughs> exactly. And so then I, you know, I, I just, every day I live, you know, my promotions, the way I raise my son, the way we live our life, like the reason why we still live less than 10 miles from each of our parents is to make them happy, to make them proud of us. And I just felt like with this one phone call that I just disappointed them. Like I have, you know, I have breast cancer and you know, my mom had questions and I'm like, I have zero answers, but I would really like for you to go to the doctor with me. And when we did the genetic testing and that came back that I was BRCA negative, not only was I so excited once I figured out what that meant, because the first doctor was such an asshole. She didn't really explain it to me, but that told us that it wasn't hereditary. And so then like, I felt like that released my parents from that and that made me so happy like I don't know why but I still try to make people feel so comfortable around me when I tell them or they find out like oh my oh my I'm like oh yeah like I'd be doing a podcast because I never stopped um while I was in chemo right and uh I'd be doing a podcast and uh on one of them Chip came in here and took my hat off 
Mm-hmm. And the girl was like, oh, I didn't know you were bald. Like, I, you know, I saw saw your pictures and I was like, oh, yeah, I got, I've got cancer. And, like, she just starts, like, bawling, crying. And I'm like, it is, it is, okay. yeah. like, I'm 34. It's stage two, like, God forbid. I hope it never comes back. But I actually feel pretty good. I'm working out, like, ha, 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 Lawrence Bald. Like, I'm, I'm, I still do it, but I try to make, everyone feels so comfortable and I don't know why I I don't know why I do that that sounds so exhausting like you're asking me if you know my parents feel guilty you you know the genetic testing you feel released your parents from that guilt but then did you turn it on yourself of like it's my fault that I have cancer or you're trying to like oh no okay so like how is that experience for you I asked I mean that was my first question you know I went in super prepared I'm type a guide to cancer it's gonna be type a all day so I Mm -hmm. went in with a mil I went in with like a literal legal pad full of questions and oh yeah um I mean I came I had a little book that said tumor journal on it and I was like all right let's go like a little mole scheme yeah yeah I wrote tumor (laughs) journal okay let's discuss (laughs) exactly start from the beginning sir when was cancer Mm -hmm. invented like I need to know everything I'll be here all day. <laughs> we will be here all day. I've already clocked in. So don't you worry about how long this is taking. Thank you. I'm going to need all the answers. But no, um, when, you know, when we got there, that was the first question. Like, did I cause this? And the doctor, even though, like I said, I do not care for her, did not care for her. I had two appointments with her and I found a new surgeon immediately. Um, but she was like, no, you are HER2 positive. You're hormone receptor negative. So like, that means literally birth control did not cause this. This literally means having a baby did not cause this. This hurt 5% of breast cancer patients are HER2 positive hormone receptor negative. 5%, again with the statistics. And it's the second most aggressive cancer next to triple negative. Um, and, and that's the thing too, right? So like I've been getting mammograms since I was 30 and then, you know, skipped one year. So this was my fourth, this is my third or fourth mammogram. And I know exactly when I got my last one. So for in 16 months, the cancer became stage two, grade three, and was already in my lymph nodes in 16 months. If I had listened to, again, the American Cancer Society, mm-hmm. all that stuff, I would not have made it. I wouldn't have made it to 37. 16 months stage two, grade three, very aggressive cancer. I was already at five centimeters in 16 months. Like what is it? Another 16 months, it's 10 centimeters. That's at least stage three. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to know when something doesn't feel right in your gut, like in your heart of hearts and you're like you know somebody's telling you something you're like that was all right like yeah that's not right and I'm gonna go check it I'm gonna go get it checked don't worry about it I'm gonna go get it checked out yeah my personal trainer a couple weeks ago he asked me he's like how did you know like and I'm like and it was so out of context because I hadn't done the podcast episode in in a while I was like I was like what are you talking about he's like well how did you like how did you know to like keep going back to the doctor or like ask for these tests and whatever. And I'm just sitting with that. I'm like, you have to believe yourself more than anything. And anyone. 
any any Ooh, white coat, any MD, mm-hmm. any any test result. Because I've received a lot of test results that are like, oh, there's nothing here, there's nothing here, there's nothing here. And I'm like, you have to believe yourself fundamentally more than anything. Mm-hmm. That's how you get through stuff like this. That's how you get through life, especially as a, as a woman of color. Mm-hmm. You have to believe yourself more than anything. Yeah. I saw a thing that said, you know, like protect our black women. And mm-hmm. as a black woman, I was like, well, I don't know if I feel like I need protecting. And then literally 30 minutes later, I was like, yeah, the fuck I do. I definitely need protecting. We are not listened to. We're not heard. Like we do need protecting and, you know, like going through this and handpicking my medical team and interviewing doctors, which you are allowed to do. You are allowed to get second and third opinions and Mm -hmm. you should not be charged for these second and third opinions that should be included in your insurance. So call them and be annoying because then they will approve your things speaking from experience, (laughs) but Really, mm-hmm. though, like, you are allowed to go and get in second, third opinions. And I'm not just saying because you don't want to do chemo and you don't want to lose your hair. But, like, get different points of view. And if you're going to read studies, ask them how many people look like you in the study. How many people were Black women? How many people were even women of color? How, where was this study done? So mm. I know before I got my MRI results, that they were thinking about changing the drug I was on for immunotherapy. And I had a very visceral reaction to them telling me they wanted to change my drug because for the last six, seven months, we, we've had plans since day one. Yeah. And for you to just say like, oh, well, this is kind of a newer drug. Yeah, that strike, uh-uh, strike one. No, 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 no. A very aggressive kind of cancer that not a lot of people have. How many people were in the study? 500? No, no. Well, I've never even heard of a study of 100 people. That's a smattering. That's a, that's a party. Like yeah. 500 people yeah. is not a study. That's not a, that's not a study. How <laughs> many people wedding. were black? 17. Strike two. You can even have like an even percentage. Can I get like five, 10% or like, yeah. you just had a bunch of white people line up and like, that's why you do genetic testing because clearly- our bodies are not exactly the same. Like younger black women are diagnosed with more aggressive breast cancers than Mm -hmm. older black women or even younger or older white women. The second largest group that's diagnosed with aggressive cancers is Asian and Pacific Islanders and native persons because I don't think this was for us. <laughs> like, I don't think no. the cancer was for us. And I think we ate the food and we drank the drink and we did the stuff. And a few generations later, like I've got cancer at 34 because mm. I'm supposed to be sitting on a throne in Namibia right now. I'm not supposed <laughs> to be living in suburbia, Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina, where we're still trying to get the name of plantations taken off of neighborhoods that weren't plantations. Like, wow. Well, come on. Come on, come on. I mean, it does, does a lot because like, you know, when this, the time of this recording is a couple of weeks after um, the Derek Chauvin trial, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after Micah Bryant was murdered and I remember thinking about that case and 
I, I just couldn't let go of this idea of like, I just, I just want to be seen as somebody who should be helped or could be helped. Yeah. And I think that ripples throughout all aspects of our lives as people of color, whether it's like, you know, calling the police if you actually need help or wanting to study what happens in our body so we can set, you know, screening norms that understand that, you know, Black and Asian women, other women of color get more aggressive cancers earlier. Uh-huh. Think about a lot of folks who die of cancers before you were even supposed to be screened for it. I think that's the level of anxiety that I have around young folks with cancer is that these things are showing up in your body before anybody was even looking for it. Uh-huh. And that's the part that's scary where it makes me feel like I have to be hypervigilant about what's happening to me because no one's checking for me. Nobody's looking out for me. So I have to look out for myself. Yeah. And I think that is really challenging to navigate. But I want to transition here as we think about like how to make decisions for yourself, despite what's happening around you or what people are influencing you to do. You know, you've mentioned this a couple of times, but having a young child, getting the news around your cancer and needing to make decisions about your family planning within 24 hours? Like, how did they broach your fertility options? And what was the tipping point for you in determining whether you're going to pursue options for having another child in the future? Or if you were going to, you know, give that up? Even when I felt abandoned and totally alone, I had to like sit down and check myself and probably about 15 seconds later, I felt God always. Mm. And so, you know, I'd gone to the, I'd gone to my annual in May and, you know, got the green light and the check, you know, to start having second baby. And then I was diagnosed in September, but you know, the mammograms, MRIs and biopsies started in July. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, my very first appointment was with an oncological surgeon. And the same day I got in with my oncologist and I have the same questions for both of them because I wanted to see how their opinions differed with what I was looking for. So again, I wasn't looking for the answer I was looking for. I was looking for the answer that made sense to me. And for the person that answered my question fully to where I understood it, not in doctor speak, not in clinical speak, not reading my pathology report to me, talking to me like a human or like your wife who was just diagnosed with cancer. And you all are literally in the middle of your life because I'm hopefully I'm not even in the middle of my life, but I'm in the middle of my life. We literally were trying to have a baby the week before. And then now you're telling me we don't know what kind of cancer you have. We don't know if you have to wait one, three, five, 10 years. There are people who have a kind of breast cancer or an ovarian cancer or cervical cancer, where if you're on hormone therapy, you have to wait 10 years. That's in, that's insane to me. And that will derail you so much. So being diagnosed uh, when my son was 17 months old, that was really hard for me because we know we, we knew we wanted additional children. We always wanted, you know, at least a family of four or five But what would hit me the hardest was thinking about leaving Trey and Chip before I was finished. There's no way I'm not done with this seven. He's like on my screen right now. I'm not done with the 17 month old. 
You know what I mean? Like I could not imagine. Like that's my that's my worst fear is leaving him number one, but leaving him where I feel I've left him ill prepared for the world. You're you're he's biracial, but you are a black man in America. And there are things that I need to teach you that your dad can't because he's not black in America. And especially today, because yeah. I thought things would be better today than they were in 2003. Like I said, that was the scariest part for me. It was just leaving him and feeling like I was leaving him in per- like ill-prepared, not raised. And then also like nobody wants to leave a baby or like, you know, have, you know, mm-hmm. have a little baby orphan. So that was the hardest part for me. That was the hardest part for me to wrap my head around because it's like, what is the reason for this? Like, how am I going to be able to help people from this? But also like, what is the message? Because I have, I have this baby. Like I, like he's not an infant, but he's a baby. Babe, like, and and not to be like that, but like, I don't have children. I'm part of the dusty egg, powdered (laughs) eggs crew. Like legit, like I was talking to a doctor because I'm 35 as well. And I was like, I really want to have a baby right now. And she's like, I mean, based on what you're trying to do with your life, having a baby at 35 and 37 might not be that big of a difference. You're already a geriatric pregnancy. And I'm like, but yeah, you're right. I mean, (laughs) could have said it in a different way because we all know what the terms are, but like, I really- Yes, geriatric pregnancy, like what the hell? But- you know, I don't, I don't have a child, but what comes up for me, please, please tell me if I'm speaking online. Cause I never like speaking about, I don't want to speak about an experience that wasn't mine, but what scares me in your story is leaving a child who wouldn't be able to remember you. Yep. Yeah. That's not out of line at all. Cause I mean, you, I mean, what you start forming the lifelong memories, like four or five. Yeah. So yeah, like it would be like pictures where you're forcing memories, right? Remember that time yeah, I went yeah. to the zoo? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, I totally remember. I was like <laughs> 26 months old, and my mom had radiation outlines all over her chest. Like, yeah, that's it's yeah. I didn't think about that part. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> oh my god, do you have your tissues? But no. I am. Um, okay. I really didn't think about that part, but, but no, that part is 100% true. And then, you know, you're to your part of the question about figuring out, you know, IVF and, and your fertility moving forward. Since we already knew we 100% wanted another kid, you know, in that first meeting, cause again, they were on the same day. I'll never forget. It was a Thursday. I spent almost six hours in two different doctor appointments on the first day. It's a lot of information. It's very overwhelming. Luckily, they did talk to me about fertility and options because uh, only 41% of AYA cancer patients get spoken to about their um, reproductive options and endocrinology. So that's 59% of people. And again, that's what had me thinking about it last week was they might be too young. Like you don't, you're already telling a 15 year old they have cancer, right? Yeah. Like maybe you don't want to be like, do you want to do an egg retrieval or would you, would you like for us to put your ovary on ice? We'll have to surgically remove it. Like what? I'm 15. I, I don't know what an ovary is. I'm 15. Like, yeah. like, honestly, they might not even be in the headspace to even make a decision at all. Like yes or no, maybe I want a cheeseburger, like nothing. It's heavy. Yeah. 
So since we knew we wanted um, a kid, it was actually kismet because the week before we'd watched the uh, Lance Armstrong documentary on ESPN, like the 30 for 30, and learned about his foundation, the Livestrong Foundation that helped cancer patients and their fertility. So when I looked at that, they covered all the medicine in the beginning and had a pre-approved price, like a flat price with the fertility clinic. And it ended up being the best fertility clinic in Charleston. So that- God that damn, was, this is why you have to keep watching Netflix. This is why like you should always been. watch TV. This is why you should always be on Instagram. But that's what got me always. started on that grant situation too. So, you know, we ended up doing it. I ended up having to push chemo back one week to do the full, um, you know, egg retrieval. And we did embryos um, <laughs> out of 29 eggs that got all the way down to the um, fertilized, like blastoids or whatever they're called. We had mm-hmm. eight boys and one girl. <laughs> and I don't think I'm supposed to have any girls. <laughs> um, but then only three of them made it to where they preserved them. So there's three little boys in the freezer. But I had 19 hours to decide. And it took us 15 hours just because we didn't know what the end all cost would be. And like, we're very fortunate to where we're just savers. So we had the money, but you know, you've got doctors telling you like, if you kind of want an insurance plan, like you kind of should do it, but the drugs you're going to be on really shouldn't affect your fertility at all. All right. Here's the deal. When you say really shouldn't affect, then that means you have no idea. And once this is done, it's done. Like if I, if I go have three popsicle babies and then, you know, everything's messed up afterwards, then it is what it is. But if I didn't do IVF and I'm infertile, because there's a million ways you can be infertile after chemo and those in the cancer treatments, then, I, yeah. then it is what it is at that point too. And I, and now I've got to explore a whole different range of options with surrogacy and egg donors and things like that. And so I'll say the doctors that I had, they were very, they were very clear. It's just endocrinology and reproductive science is so new ish. And also it's very niche and it's like where they, the one thing I really just don't care for about it as a whole is that it's, it's like the vet they're um, harping (laughs) on your emotions. I'm just saying they're like, they're, they're, they're pulling on your heartstrings. If you go in there, they're like your dog's toenails infected and the antibiotics for that is $2,000 or he's going to lose that leg. Now, are you going to be a terrible dog mom? Where are you going to buy these $2,000 antibiotics? And it's just like that. It's like, do you want a baby? Because it costs $25,000. 25 I have a friend who's going through right now, and she, you know, gives me regular updates about her process, and she has to go down to the specialist that's in another state, and this and that and that, and things that she's had to work out with equity in her house to get the money to do. And I'm like, holy hell. And I'm you know, I'm six years younger than her, again, all geriatric pregnancy types. And it's just like, when it comes to making decisions about fertility, it does not seem easy to navigate. Cancer is not easy to navigate. Fertility options are not easy to navigate. And to be able to have to navigate 
those two things at the same time is like there's no good time for cancer to enter your life and like so many things can complicate your process but when you're talking about probabilities again around what could happen to your body what can happen to your family I mean thank god for live strong to be able to open up some options for you too I mean there's and there are quite a few organizations that do help nationwide I've got a lot of breasties out in Texas and there's it's called like mission chicks um but their Mm. logo is like little chicken like little baby chicken but they help out a lot. Um, but, but yeah, it's a lot to decide and it's a heavy decision. And, you know, they're like, you wouldn't be here if you didn't want a baby. And then also what, what really blows my mind is that after everything, we got the 29 eggs that went all the way, all the way through the process. And today we have three in the freezer. What I never thought of was if none of them made it right I never thought that would be a thing because mm. it's a controlled environment it's you know they're getting the eggs from you they're fertilizing them somewhere else they're keeping them cool they're keeping them warm I don't know what they need to do I don't know if they're like baby chickens do they need an incubator I don't know what they do that's why I, I again baby I'm a baby I'm an infant endocrinologist you know less okay. than uh Doc McStuffins uh, yes <laughs> I do not I don't know much <laughs> But I never imagined that there would be zero. And there are people who get zero embryos or just it's things like that. And you still have to pay all the money. You still pay. You pay thousands of dollars and could still end up with nothing. If there's no embryos, if there's no live birth, like you have to pay. And that's not fair. (laughs) That's not right. I came for a baby and I'm leaving here with a baby. (laughs) So, (laughs) so... Money back guarantee. Figure it out. God damn. Right? Like, <laughs> if you believe so much in your endocrinologist's knowledge, you would have a money back guarantee. Make a per make a person. I did all my things. You took them. my things. You took my husband's yeah. things. Like make me a person. Please make me a person. Like I just I could not imagine if it didn't work out. But yeah. that's that's why we chose. That's how we chose. And it was not, it was not an easy decision. But, and they say, don't look at it like an insurance policy, but we just kind of wanted to try to hedge our bets because this came out of nowhere. Like, it's really, yeah, it's been, the fertility part was like a really messed up part. Well, do you feel like as you're trying to navigate cancer, you're navigating, you know, your dynamic with your husband and the family planning, you're navigating fertility and that whole process. And as you're going through chemotherapy, you yourself you start to change like do you feel like you Lauren like get lost in all of that like you lose yourself somewhat Mm, I've totally lost myself but yeah (laughs) not because of any I just lost myself because I don't recognize myself like when I look at old Mm. pictures some of them I'm like oh that's me and then some of them I'm like there is no soul in that picture I'm not there yeah I'm here my pictures I take now I'm here but in that that part is wild like I don't recognize her Mm. the 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 smile is like what is that smile like because you look way too happy because she's so unassuming like like I remember in January when I posted like a happy anniversary to my husband 
you know, it was like one of the last pictures we took before you head inside and like go eat and stuff. And like, I was like in that minute, in that moment, like when that shutter clicked like that, I was literally so happy because it's like the same thing you were talking about before that trajectory. And you're just, it's like, everything's going too well. And I'm like, in that minute, like that moment was just so perfect. Like sunset on my wedding day that I never thought would happen in a dress that I was <laughs> snatched and like all these things. Yes. And so, yeah, um, but navigating it, I just, I'm, I'm one of those people that I like to take everything on. I like to reorganize it myself. I like to reprioritize it and it will all get done. Like, just like. Like I said, I started, I started my podcast, like in the middle of August, I had released two episodes before I was diagnosed. And I was like, what am I, what am I going to do? So I was like, well, I'm going to keep doing this until I can't do it anymore. So, you know, I I had the podcast, I had the cancer, I had my full-time job. I have the kid, I've got the husband, I've got the house, you know, got to clean the house, got to manage the house. And I think for me, the biggest thing that helped was just staying incredibly busy because yeah. the minute I sat down or looked at myself in the mirror, I would either think about death or my impending death or when it was coming or why is this happening? But if I'm busy, I was totally fine. Like people were like, wow, you're handling this really well. Wow. You're so strong. And it's like, <laughs> At 8 30, I'm gonna completely break down. <laughs> I hate that. At <laughs> yeah, when I was navigating my stuff, um, I had short-term disability leave from a job that was absolutely incredible, supportive, like showed up for me in ways, showed up for me ways that my own friends did not show up for me. Yeah. If you're gonna go through a life crisis, this is a place that you want to work. And a couple of months after I got back, I had to resign because I was in such a dark place that like, I remember I was in this meditation and for the 20 minutes of that meditation, I was like drafting a suicide letter. I had too much space Mm -hmm. in my life to have your mind kind of go into these dark corners. And so I left that job to work at a startup, which, you know, startup culture is like, go, go, go. And this and that and that. And like, you're working so many hours. Like I, I started a startup. I got a dog. Like I just busied myself so much and then people look at you like you're saying like oh you're so strong you're so this or whatever and like this is a trauma response like what my life looks like what looks like successful or whatever to you or me keeping it all together like this is how I'm trying to navigate through my trauma like I'm not I'm actually not okay it's it's high functioning anxiety like very high functioning anxiety yeah And when I read that like when I read that about my because my therapist said it to me like my oncological therapist she was like, that's a trauma response. And this is high functioning anxiety. And I'm like, yeah, but my house is clean. <laughs> and like, my house my is so clean. <laughs> clean. And like, my dog is clean. And I, my, my freezer's full of baked goods. And she was like, yeah. And when you sit down, do you get sad? And I was like, no, because I drink. And she was like, don't do that. <laughs> the alcohol. Hello. <laughs> Please stop doing that. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's a trauma response. And it's, it's high functioning anxiety. And I, and I like, were you not raised to think that that was like success in the home? Oh yeah. That like, that's good. Yeah. Yes. You don't want to be lazy. You don't want to be wallowing around in a bed that's not made or a floor that's not swept. And 
like get up you have to keep going come on this is gonna yeah. like jumpstart you and it's like well I'm doing the stuff but it's like when people say like fake it till you make it like I'm faking this but I'm not I don't feel like I'm making it anywhere like there's a photo oh, yeah. that I have on um on my website with me and Stacey Abrams because I introduced her for an event and got to interview her for a little bit and that is like the thing that people get super excited about when they see my work which is why it's on my website but when I look at that photo I look at a vacant person right like yep. I remember being on stage talking to the smartest person <laughs> like ever and feeling so distressed because you know I don't recognize my body I'm dealing with all this neuropathy I can't feel my feet mm -hmm. what if I do like all this stuff what if I have to use a bathroom and I'm sitting up here like can I hold it can I the only thing going through my head are like neuropathy management type stuff or just kind of going through the motions but when I look back at that photo I don't really see myself there I just see like an interpretation of me a shell I just I see a shell like I yeah and, and it's not even bad like I, I feel like some people will hear that or like you know listening they'll hear that and they'll they'll be really, it's really sad. sad and it's yeah. not it's not really to me it's not sad I, I died on September 4th. Like, I'm, I died. She's dead. Um, I feel She's like I'm a better person. I feel like I'm a more patient person, for sure. Oh, my God, yeah. I, I can feel and see the difference in the way that I parent. And I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for that. Ch Chip and I do daily affirmations every single morning with our alphabet. A is for awesome. B is for beautiful. Black and beautiful. Like, all that stuff. Like, I now that I get to work from home permanently I get three hours back a day with him like I mean there yeah cancer sucks but I I've just been trying to find every silver lining I can and rip that out of there and yeah and that's that but like I said when I just look and I was already I feel like I literally was already on my way to becoming like a good and better person because I was like mothering this child so, I mean and there's there's a certain level of selflessness that comes into play like when you have a kid and then mm -hmm. you know we were planning on having another one that's a whole nother level of selflessness like when you're planning and if you don't plan your kids cool good for you like you're not going to be stressed and pissing on everything like I am around here <laughs> like finding a rabbit making sure I'm pregnant and I don't have diabetes they're like Lauren they're a pregnancy test you are way too country put the bunny away like just I can't did you dream about fish I know <laughs> yeah right like never had a dream about fish but you know it's just you you're I was being selfless and I'm you know my marriage is a priority my job is a priority having a clean house was a priority on the, on the up and up and then this happened and when I look back and, and the only thing I have is the pictures you know what I mean honestly don't really recognize myself out of a ton of them because again, she's so unaware. And then for one second, I I'm usually like, is that, is that the beer that caused it? You know, is that the, the wine yeah. that, was that what caused it? Was it me not getting enough sleep? Was it me being stressed about getting this new job? Like is this yeah. girl, like the things that she's doing, did she cause this? And I'm like, it's not her fault. It's no one's fault. And then, you know, and I yeah. live in that minute for like a second or two and then I'm finished. But um, yeah, like I've never, I've never felt more myself than now.
even bald as a jaybird, bald, bald as a little jaybird. I mean, I would say the hardest day, the second hardest day I've ever had was like after that photo shoot in December. And I was like, I was just like walking past, I was like coming out of my closet and going in the bedroom. And I was walking past the bathroom and I literally was like, I don't recognize that woman. She's bald. She's 40 pounds heavier. She's wearing my clothes, which you shouldn't because you're 40 pounds heavier. And you stretching my shit out. <laughs> yeah, just, please have respect for the hymns. Like, come on now. And just all these things, but I did not recognize myself. Pop belly, round face, bald head, all mm-hmm. these things. I had acne from chemo. My nose was bleeding so much. Like I just did not recognize myself. I didn't feel like myself. I didn't recognize myself. Like, and I, I just felt like ugly and gross. And I started to feel like I looked like those quintessential cancer. Yeah. And I was like, something has to change here. And that's when I got the oncological therapist, because I think that is just so different than a regular therapist, honestly. I I totally hear that. I have um, like a quote unquote regular therapist now, but a couple years ago, I had a, a rehab psychology therapist, like people who are trained to help people who are facing chronic pain which that was like really, really tough for me. Um, And so, yeah, like I definitely encourage folks to, if you have a therapist that you love, keep it going. And there might be times in that relationship where there are limits to maybe how they can support you. And also there are expanded possibilities with folks who see and deal with a lot of people who might be facing similar things as you. Mm But I do have a question as we we wrap up because we talked a lot about like family histories and kind of navigating these experiences with a level of nuance that I don't think a lot of people share um, or go into depth about. And as we talk about young folks with cancer, what are you going to tell Chip about this experience? Oh, I'm going to tell him everything. Um, I've been writing him once a week since it Mm. all started. So um, I'll tell him everything. I have been raising Chip differently than I was raised. And not like, not too crazy, but, and I don't want to generalize because I don't, you know, like black people aren't monoliths and I don't know what happens behind other people's doors. But like my parents weren't raised like, I love you. I'll see you later. Call yeah. me five. Yeah, no, that was not a thing. Yeah, like. I don't think that's very common with a lot of black people. So, but I, when I was like 25, I started that with my parents and I was like, I'm not getting off the phone until you tell me, tell me you love me. And I was like, ugh, stop calling you. <laughs> so like I made you, yeah, then don't do it. But so, but I just, I make sure that I tell Chip, like, I love, I mean, probably way too much, but at least like, I don't know, seven to 10 times a day. I love him. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a lot more open with him than my parents were with me about who is sick, what they have, what they have going on, what I, what I have had. It takes a huge elephant off my chest for the future about having children with like, you know, my BRCA and all my genetics coming back negative. 
Um, so I don't have anything to pass along that, you know, I know of at the moment for what they're actually testing. I think I got tested for like 119 um, mutations. And so, but yeah, I'll be telling him everything because um, it, you know how kids talk and people talk, but what I do want mm -hmm. everyone to talk about is AYA cancer and for everyone to at least know how to give yourself an exam because I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Before this, I didn't know how to give like the best breast exam. I, you know, I felt what I, I thought I needed to be feeling on the first of the month. And that's that. Sometimes I would skip months. That's that. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be like, I was so vigilant and diligent with it. I am not, I'm a baby gynecologist. <laughs> I only know how to give myself half a breast exam. Okay. <laughs> that's that. But yeah, I'll be telling him everything. And we'll be doing the fundraising and the walking. I mean, everything until this is cured because it, it needs yeah. to go away. Thanks so much for spending this time with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, is there anything else you wanted to tell folks? Are you sure you don't want to talk about toxic positivity? We can. I just have to wrap in three minutes. But we can have a quick like a bonus section where you want to just talk about toxic positivity for oh. two minutes and I'll put it as a post show. No, <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Positivity is da -da 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 -da. toxic positivity is some bullshit. Don't fuck your fuck your congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Don't tell me to be in a fucking good mood today. I if <laughs> I would take a shit in public. Don't fuck that. I take shits in public. <laughs> yep. I am such a good role model. I'm happy I'm alive, but I'm fucking struggling. Yes, yes I'm mentally You don't struggling. know my life. <laughs> you do not know my life. Black Cancer is created, edited, and produced by me, Jody Ambiri. Thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing your story with us. To make sure that other Black Cancer stories become center to how we talk about cancer, like, subscribe, rate, leave a review. Check out our website at blackcancer.co and on Instagram at underscore black underscore cancer. Trauma comes with endless wisdom for ourselves and those all around us. Tell someone you know about black cancer.